The following program is intended for mature audiences. The time is now for the hardest hit. Yet completely trivial. Football show on the planet. You are in rarefied territory. Ladies and gentlemen, well, well to the broken helmet. Let's rock. Bang! Coming to you live on tape on this April 29th. The morning after. It's like Christmas morning. All fun treats under the tree for you to unwrap and play with. And obviously, you know, as you get older, you don't get toys and shit anymore. So what you do get is you get the NFL draft. And you get to sit on a Thursday night, pound some drinks with your friends, or eat food, whatever your draft party might be. And you get treats in the form of brand new players for your favorite football member club. And so that's where we're at today. Obviously, yesterday was day one of the NFL draft. Fun had by all. By all. Because it was actually a very, very entertaining first night. And I mean, let's be honest. The NFL draft, I think I mentioned this last podcast, but it has become an event like no other. I mean, it used to be a little rinky-dink bullshit event for a Saturday and Sunday on a weekend in April, but has now become a gigantic blockbuster network TV behemoth on in prime time. And you got to see a good one last night as we all were treated to trade upon trade upon trade. And a lot of teams did what they were supposed to, so... You know what? Without any more hesitation, let's just jump right into it. What we'll do is, first down, we'll talk about the event. Second down, we'll talk about gambling. Third down, we'll get into the draft. And then, on fourth down, we'll look at winners, losers, and other themes. So, let's jump right into it and take a look at the NFL 2022 draft. First down. down. All right. Talking about the event, like I said, this thing is a fucking behemoth. I mean, they have turned round one of the draft into an absolute circus. Circus. If you were sitting there looking at your TV screen and you were not in Las Vegas, all you saw was a sea of fans from every Every team that there is in the NFL. There was, what, 1.8 million people in attendance? 1.8 million. I know that they said it was like 300,000, but no, it was 1.8 million. They had the numbers wrong. I, Anthony Fauci was sitting at home. He broke out in the fucking hives watching the damn thing. Because it was like, COVID! COVID is everywhere! I, they had a red carpet event for the NFL draft. I'm watching... We were watching... Uh, I, I actually went to a draft party and we all sat in a big ballroom and we were just having food and it was an open bar. It was a great event. I mean, this is the shit that goes on now, right? Is that people just turn this into whatever they want to because it's just a Thursday night of fun, food, drinking. If you enjoy that stuff, whatever else it might be, just fun to be had by all NFL fans, right? So we're sitting there watching and I think we were watching... ESPN, so we didn't see it, but as I end up going home, and then I turn it on at home, and I go on to ABC, 
ABC has a different broadcast, and their broadcast has a red carpet, a red carpet with people all dolled out in, you know, fancy dresses and Tom Ford tuxes and whatever the hell it might be. But, I mean, this is what the NFL has become, right? It has become a full-on Oscar-esque type of production. And so they've got a, a red carpet. It was covered by three channels. Three channels, last I checked. It, I, I think it was NFL Network, ABC, and ESPN. NFL Network, by the way, for whatever reason, was stationed out in Reno. They didn't want to be in, in Vegas. So they were stationed out in Reno. Uh, they weren't in Reno. But when they went to their podium or whatever, their set, they were a, a good, I don't know, thousand feet from the actual venue. And I have no clue if that distance is accurate at all because I'm, I'm just making it up. But the I think it was the ESPN production was inside the stadium. NFL Network, Eisen and the rest of them, they were outside, like way away from the sea of 1.8 million people that were in attendance. Uh, because obviously, I you know, they probably were just like, you know, I don't know any of the people here and COVID is a thing. And I probably just don't want to get it. So why don't we just plan ourselves outside? They don't need our production to be here with everybody else. You know, let, let uh, ESPN do that and be in just a sea of people. And uh, look, I'm, I, you know, if you listen to the podcast at all, and that makes about four of you, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of COVID or whatever, but it is just kind of crazy. There were so many people there. I think the number, the actual number was around 300,000 or something like that. And they were butts to nuts. I mean, there was no social distancing to be had by anybody anybody so you know again this is one of those events that you watch it and you're like ah you know there's not a spike of covid out there tomorrow you know maybe we just don't understand what the hell it is but anyway no more covid i i, I for somebody who says i hate covid so fucking much i talk about it all the goddamn time but it's just funny because you know you look at it and you're like oh logically speaking these people are all you know ass at the elbows and everybody's breathing on each other and screaming and i you know what are the number are they ticking up after this oh whatever anyway so uh you know, the networks are, were all there. Some were inside the venue. Some were outside the venue. They had a red carpet. I, You know, a big, gigantic event. They had a stage set up that was right out of a Broadway show. I, I mean, what it was like one mile of getting your hat, walking down, cameraman in front of you. Then you, st- well, you stop to get the hat in front of a, you know, this big picturesque uh, mirror that, you know, you, you look at yourself in the mirror and you put on your hat and then you turn and you walk down the next mile of corridor as the cameraman just tries to backpedal and not fall over himself or herself as they're taking a photo of you. Then you go out and Cadell's there and he gives you the bro hug. You know, and you know you get to flash off your suit that could be multiple colors, could be sequin. Who the fuck knows? I can't even make out what half these suits are anymore. I mean, it, it looks like something out of Willy Wonka, some of these goddamn suits. It's fucking nuts. But anyway, um, you know, the set is colossal. And so they get to the opening. And let's just say this right out of the gate, right? The opening was cringe-worthy. I mean, it was really, really bad. <laughs> I mean, nothing screams Las Vegas and the NFL, like Ice Cube, right? I mean, nothing. Nothing at all. Don't be rude. I know it's true. Don, look, you know, Ice Cube is not the guy that you think of when you think of the NFL. With the Raiders, maybe. But then again, this is the same guy that rapped Stop Giving Juice to the Raiders because Al Davis never paid us, right? Anybody remember that? Yeah, you, me, nah, nah, the death certificate, 1992, I think it was. Um, But, you know, and then this guy turns around and, and... Goodell sitting up there. Hey, Cube, get up here, baby. Baby, baby, come, come on. Come on, baby. Stop calling Ice Cube baby. 
I, I, what the hell is going on? I mean, if anybody, maybe Cube could call you baby. I maybe I, I think there's a, a, a maybe just don't use the terminology baby at all. But if anybody's babying somebody else, number one, nobody puts baby in the corner. So you know you're, you're talking to Ice Cube. He's stuck down there. You're putting baby in the corner down there. Well, you're trying to get him out of the corner, I guess. But look, enough of the baby. Uh, I, I don't. Nobody wanted to hear it, and it's just really weird. And I, I mean, the, the Goodell and Ice Cube break bread all the time. I mean, it's just. It's really weird. Goodell, it's time, I think, for Goodell to punch out here. I mean, he never will because, I mean, he makes just, you know, a boatload of cash. Boatload? Probably more than a boatload. It's probably like a cargo tanker full of fucking cash or gold, maybe, uh, at this point. So he's not going anywhere because why would you when you're making this kind of money? However, that said, his image right now is just... It's really brutal because he's got this bro thing with everybody that's there. And, you know, you're the commissioner of the fucking National Football League, dude. Like, you don't have to be cool. You could just be a dude. You could just be an executive, which is what you're supposed to be. Um, and I remember when I worked at NFL Properties and they were talking, they were like, oh, yeah, you see him down in the, in, in the corner office? And I'm like, why is everybody talking? Why are we all whispering here? And they're like, oh, you know who that is? I don't fucking know who that is. Uh, you know, I want to go play NFL Blitz, you know, on, on my break here before I get back to work. And uh, they're like, oh, no, that's uh, that's, that's Roger Goodell. I'm like, oh, yo, oh, Roger. Yeah, who, who the fuck is Roger Goodell? They're like, he's the next commissioner of the NFL. That, that's who that is. And I was like, oh, I guess so. So anyway, here he is now, all these years later. That was, uh, what, 20-something years ago. And uh, and he's just given you know Ice Cube the the baby call out on the stage, but uh, cringeworthy opening. I you know and Cube gets up there and I you know he's screaming out Las Vegas Raider Nation I love you whatever. Uh, but anyway, then we get the ball rolling and after it started, it was one of the more entertaining drafts I can remember. Uh, like I said, I said that in the opening and truth be told, there was just so much action uh, across the board. Uh, that I don't remember in the recent past being as entertained watching the event as I was last night. And so, and that was a good thing. And it was going to be definitely one of the more impactful first rounds, uh, first days in, in a long time because there was just so much movement and significant movement too, right? And it, on top of the movement, everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right, with the exception of the Saints, right? I mean, the Saints. What the fuck? But uh, for the most part, teams are doing what they should be doing, drafting the best talent on the board. Uh, and the trades were impactful because they were moving big, giant pieces, primarily wide receivers, right? Because wide receivers is where it's at. Uh, and so ultimately, in the end, this draft and everything that resulted from the first round of this draft is going to have a huge impact. And so that made for a great first night. So that's it. Let, let's take a look at the gambling aspect uh, of the uh, of the first round because I, I think it played a big factor in some of the way things played out. Second down. Second down. So we'll start talking about the gambling. And to be honest, there was a ton of cash to be had all around the first round of the draft. And from all the podcasts I listened to, people just clocked in all night long. Because 
I'll just a couple of the podcasts that I had heard talk about their angles was um, you better you bet with Nick Costa uh, and primarily uh, like you know seventy five percent of the bets that they had talked about and discussed ended up hitting. Uh, I the uh, another one that I was l- listening to was Ross Tucker. Uh, I think uh, what his even money podcast. That's the name of that one. The things mentioned during that one also hit. Uh, there was probably two or three other ones that I had listened to. And for the most part, people hit a lot of the over-unders, right? A player, draft position, stock, whatever it was, and w- with the angles. I, I didn't really venture into that part of it because it's one of the weaknesses in my game is that I don't, you know, I, re- I I've never been good at mastering just a straight-up bet, right? And obviously, the, the idea is to be over 50%, right? you got to be 60% with your win rate, and you're doing pretty good. Uh, I, I throw my money away because, I, you know, I'm not a professional gambler. I just do it for shits and giggles and for fun, and I always have, and I, I love to get involved with teases and parlays. And over the years, I have definitely looked more into... Uh, the strategy behind gambling because it mirrors much of what you see in professional poker, in professional stocks, stock trading. A lot of it is risk reward. Um, there is become a whole new uh, avenue to follow in regards to the data analysis and the applications for data analysis within the NFL and all these sports, right? I mean, we talked about it on the pod before that, you know, data analytics right now is just ruling the country. I, I shouldn't even say the country. It's the world. I mean, it, right now, it all about data analytics, Python, pumping out you know, dot charts and plot charts or whatever it is. I mean, it is all over the place. And look, w- without being a aficionado on that statistical nature of the NFL or gambling, I I follow it. I follow it casually. I like to know what's going on. I haven't done too much deep dive research into it. Uh, yeah, I, I, for as much as I love PFF pro- products podcast I've never subscribed to their um, to their service so I've never had the ability to go into you know and I never subscribed to uh, Warren Sharp either I listened to his podcast I've never actually subscribed to his service so I haven't had the ability to go in depth into the the offerings of these sites so I you know what I know about them is fringe. But I do enjoy thematically the ideas that they bring to the table, right? And so I've been trying to utilize and understand more of that in my own gambling aspects. But as it applies to the NFL draft, a lot of what I was listening to on these podcasts had a lot to do with uh, positional value of a given player and their over-under. And then obviously, you know, the big and what you were getting and, and how the the over-under was weighted, uh, etc. But there was much money to be had. And like I said, from 
from everything that I heard through listening to these handful of podcasts, I would probably say that it was like 70%. I was trying to track it. Uh, I listened to it, you know, it, twice speed, and I'm trying to mark off on a piece of paper. I was like, oh, that hit, that hit, that hit. Because I'd known listening to it that a lot of the things that I had heard, I said, I, shit, I, <laughs> I think that hit. Um, you know, one of them just on the top of my head, which was really random, and I don't know the podcast it was off, was about the end of the second round, and it was the safety that was taken by the Bengals. Daxton Hill. Daxton Hill. He, I think he had an over-under of 32, and whoever I was listening to said, oh, no, I love him. I love the under of 32. He ended up going 31, and I was just laughing because I said, oh, man, they were right. Right by one one spot, but that's all you need. You just need to be in one spot. So anyway, there was a ton of money to be had. I actually clocked in a little bit myself. I didn't get into any of the gambling on the podcast that I did uh, yesterday. It was yesterday, day before, whatever it was, um, because I there was no point. In it. I, I really wanted to cover kind of the NFL to date and everything that had taken place you know, up to the draft. Just kind of a quick recap. I did a State of the Union earlier. That was kind of a State of the Union part two, um, you know, from then until now. So I didn't get into it. But what I ended up doing, because I'm not good with the over-unders and I don't like the singular bets. That's where my whole tangent just uh, got off the rails there. But I went trying to pinpoint players into spots and trying to get odds on what I had heard. Kudos to PFF. Um, you know, they got great products, but they were the first podcast I'd heard. They were doing mock drafts for a while. Everybody has, but they were the first mock draft that I remember saying that Stingley was going to go number three to the Texans. And so they pointed out, and at the time, I don't think that Stingley's odds were there. And so as all of a sudden people started talking about it and I looked and I'm like, you know, I got to get on the board here with some stuff. I saw Stingley at number three, and I said, you know what, that, that's the one that I'll go for. I, I, I didn't get great odds on it, but I put Stingley in there at probably a, a little less than three to one. And so I put Stingley in there at number three, and sure enough, boom, that hit. So cashed out in, money in my pocket. That was the first one. So that was number three. That brought me up to four. Four was the Jets. Now, the Jets were super attached all over the place to Sauce Gardner. I mean, it was everywhere. And so that was the first thing that I thought of. I said, you know what? I, the odds for Gardner, I think, were 5-1 to one at that point. And so I said, everybody and their brother is saying Gardner there. And if the Texans take Stingley, then they're not going to go anywhere like Thibodeau or anything like that because I, you would imagine that they're not going to pass on Sauce because they're not going to get another cornerback that's you know of this caliber when they have to go pick a ten. So I said, you know, at five to one, everybody talking about it. I'm just taking that in. So I put money on Gardner. Now the the way I was thinking about it was the only screwball here could be if the Texans don't take Stingley and they go another route. So let's say they took Gardner instead with Stingley on the board. Would the Jets have committed to Stingley the same way that they were with Gardner? I I wasn't necessarily sure. So I picked Gardner, but then what I did was I took Thibodeau because let's face facts, Thibodeau up until midway of the 2022 season, 2021 uh, NFL, the uh, NCAA season, he was the number one pick. 
I mean, he was the consensus, surefire lock at number one pick. And so my thought process was if Thibodeau was sitting there at four and they end up taking Gardner, are they going to take Stingley because they wanted a cornerback or are they going to take Thibodeau because he's the best on the board? Everybody in the brother, it was the one player that I kept looking at all the different slots. You couldn't pinpoint where Thibodeau was going. And you could pinpoint a lot of stuff from a, a gambling aspect as to what was happening in the draft because the odds reflected it. Right, especially like Trayvon Walker, and we'll talk uh, Trayvon Walker, and, and we'll talk about that in, in a second here. But Thibodeau was kind of the—I mean, he was the mystery, right? So I said, you know, I'll put him at four with the Jets because I'm getting good money there. Ended up being a loser; it was no good because they got Garner, but I got paid on the Garner pick anyway. So I was two two for two now with the first loss here with Thibodeau. But I had flipped around, and what I did was I said, you know what? Then it comes to the Giants. And so if it goes Stingley, then Gardner, and Thibodeau's on the board, are they going to take Thibodeau, or are they going to take a, one of the offensive tackles that they had basically been uh, you know, locked at the hip to uh, all, all pre-draft long? And, you know, the Panthers were either going to take a quarterback or they are going to take a tackle. But you get to the point that you're there at five and you have seven. If you don't take Thibodeau, you're getting a tackle regardless because there's only one team in between you, and that ends up being the Panthers. So if the Panthers don't go quarterback, they don't go Pickett or Willis, and they end up going tackle, you're still getting a tackle. But if you end up going tackle first and then the Panthers end up taking Thibodeau, you miss out on getting a comparable player there. And then what do you do? You take another tackle? Or you go somewhere else? Where else are you going to go? Right? I, I mean, Thibodeau made sense to me should he have been there at the five pick. And I, I put him at four already. I said, I'll put him in at five. And boom, there it was. That was number two. You cashed that in. That was my big hit of the night. And so that that's how I went about it. Everything went downhill after that. I, 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 I threw, you know, uh, you know, good money away after that, but I mean, some of it was just, it wasn't big, it was just trying to figure out how else could I get mixed in there, because after the Thibodeau spot at five, there was nothing else I really liked, so I had Kenny Pickett there as a top ten pick, figuring that maybe he ended up going, that was wrong, never got that one, I ended up taking Willis as a top five pick, that was wrong, because quarterbacks are (laughs) just, did not go in this first round, and it's a big question mark as to where they ultimately end up going, Um, you know, obviously pick it ended up going to Pittsburgh when it was all said and done. But uh, So I did Willis. I also did Willis first player off the board. Offensive. That got ruined uh, when the Panthers picked. Uh, and then what else? Oh, and so I, I tried to do pick number 10 because pick number 10 had you know, a little bit of juice to it. And I took Drake London thinking that the Jets are going to go wide receiver for sure. And they were really attached, if I'm not mistaken, to uh, who they ultimately got, which was uh, Willis uh, from uh, where the hell uh, Wilson from Ohio State, and so I think he was the at least at DraftKings he was the leader on the board, but uh, I ended up going Drake London, and then he ended up getting drafted. Mm-hmm. 
so that was wrong there. He ended up going to Atlanta, so that killed that. So anyway, uh, point being, that's how I played it out, but there was a ton of money to be had. And one of the other things that you learned watching this, and if you were following it from a gambling aspect, is, you know, at least me, I am of the... belief that the NFL is very intent on keeping their gambling partners very happy. And their mission is to keep this event as pure, quote-unquote pure, as possible. Right? It's got to be organic. It has to have the element of surprise. And information has to be held to the, uh, you know, to the chest as close as you can. You cannot let leaks get out there. Because what you see is with the Trayvon Walker situation that Hutchinson is the number one pick all over the place. Something happens overnight, I guess like a week ago, and overnight everything switched, and that was it, right? Walker went to the top of the boards. He was minus 400 at that point, and Hutchinson fell down, and it was gone. But, I mean, it literally happened overnight. One day it's Hutchinson, the next day it was Walker. And if you're the gambling public and you know that all of this activity was taking place behind closed doors before it happened, you wouldn't jump out there and put your bets on. Because if you knew everything was moving, you'd be like, you know what? Why am I going to put my money out there when there is so much movement that's going to happen? There's no way anybody's going to get this right. Because once one variable falls, I, you know, once one thing goes wrong or a variable changes, I'm, I'm trying to articulate this in a manner that I, obviously is above my intelligence at this point. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. Um, but you, know, you got all these variables. And so, you know, once one domino falls, everything else falls. And all the bets that were made to that point just go, you know, right down the drain. So, you can't tell me that, number one, the NFL didn't know that bringing in all those quarterbacks was a terrible idea. Right? Bringing all those quarterbacks into the green room was moronic. I mean, it was downright criminal. Because the NFL knew that all those guys were not going in the first round. And I'm sure they had a strong inkling that, you know, maybe one, but all three might not go. But you can't only invite one. Let's say they knew Pittsburgh was going after Pickett and Pickett only. And I'm sure they did. I'm sure somebody knew. You can't turn around and all of a sudden not invite the other two and only draft picket because Willis was getting talked up constantly all week long he was getting talked up and for the two weeks prior to that I mean Willis was on a rocket ship to get drafted last night and if you ultimately turn around and you're the NFL and you're like you know look we're not going to bring him out here we're going to bring Malik out here he's going to sit in the green room and he's going to sit there on, on the camera as he doesn't get picked and then, you know, it's going to be like the Aaron Rodgers and I. What Brady Quinn might have been another one. I, I can't remember over the past 10, 15 years all the quarterbacks that fell. But it's not that many, right? And when they do fall, it's a very big embarrassment. And with this draft, they sure as shit knew that these guys were going to sit in the green room. And they should not have brought maybe all three of them. Maybe they should have left them all at home, right? But 
obviously the NFL wants to have them there for if they end up getting drafted, that they can walk down and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, put on the hat, do the whole fucking Broadway stage bullshit. But they knew that it, there was a slim chance that all three or two were getting picked. But they invited him to the green room anyway. And if you don't bring him home, what I'm trying to ram home here is that that's going to throw off the betting public because they're going to turn around and be like, look, they didn't invite Willis here. He's not getting drafted. Sorry, it's not going to happen. They'll put the cameras at his at his house. But if he's a quarterback and he's a first-rounder, they would have him there in person. And so why am I going to bet on somebody who's not going to be there in person? I, it's just not going to happen. It never happens. I mean, you, you, you don't see that. So the NFL is not going to show their hand at all. You're sitting at a poker table with the NFL. They want this thing to be as organic and as pure as possible. And so they're going to do everything to that to that end. And so they're going to invite all these quarterbacks here. And they're going to let them sit in the green room regardless of what they know. Number two, the A.J. Brown and Hollywood Brown trades that took place before the draft, or that took place during the draft, they took place before the draft. Sorry. You're not telling me any differently. And those two trades changed everything after them in terms of, I, I mean, league structure, draft structure, movement behind it. I mean, you know, if you were betting in the top couple of picks, I, like I said, I went, Thibodeau was the last guy, that fifth pick, and then after that I really didn't like anything and then I took a stab at number 10. But really, after those initial trades took place, Right, and the first trade took place with pick number eleven. That was the uh, that was the New Orleans Saints trade. Everything after that was you know gone. If you were trying to pencil in people, now at least DraftKings went one through ten, and I think after they got to a certain point, they went down in the other ranks. But um, you know that AJ Brown and Hollywood Brown trade. When I'm you know back to my point, that took place before the draft, and nobody heard about that until the night of the draft. Now, I'm sure there are reporters that are go out and say, uh, no, that happened organically. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But, uh, I mean, logic logic speaks to those trades getting taken place before the draft. Especially when A.J. Brown has to turn around and then get four years for $100 million, And that is part of the prerequisite for making the trade is that that can get done. That's not happening in like a 15-minute window. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Sure, yeah, you could do the handshake, but yeah, okay, AJ, look, we're telling you right now, we'll give you the 100 mil. We're going to give you 100 million four years. We'll bang it out, but we're going to get this done. So we're going to make this trade, right? And, and yeah, sure, that conversation could have happened. And maybe it was that way. But look, are you throwing the dice that way? If you know, you're either team here, probably not. I would imagine that they talked about this for multiple days up until the draft. Hollywood Brown, same thing. You're trading your two number one receivers from teams that are playoff quality, right, for draft picks. And you're not doing that in in they both both those players, mind you, like I said with AJ Brown, the same thing is going to be Hollywood Brown. And and this has now become a theme all across the the NFL and we talked about this in the last pod is that especially when it's a wide receiver and these wide receivers are all pinned to new contracts and the ability to get these new contracts done. Debo Samuel, for instance, he's still sitting with the 49ers because I, you know, word is is that the Jets offer was super low ball and didn't get done. So, you know, I think I saw PFF 
they had a post on Instagram that said it was, um, I forget what the hell it was, but I think it was super low. Um, whatever it was, um, I said it to my buddy. But again, um, uh, hold on, I have it right here. Draft offer number 10 and a pick swap for Debo Samuel, uh, 49ers decline, right? And that was, uh, D- that was what he called. That was uh, pro football focus. So, you know, again, with these contracts the way that they are, this stuff's getting hammered out before the draft, not during the draft. But the A.J. Brown and Hollywood Brown thing, nobody knew about that. Not until it happened. So the NFL is keeping all of this information very much, very much in-house. And I think everybody understands you know, the mission statement here is that this gambling thing is a win-win for everybody. So let's not screw it up by having loose lips and having everybody just leak info all over the place, okay? Just tell everybody to shut the F up until the night of, and let's let everybody enjoy this thing in real time. Remember the, what was it, three, four years ago when they basically were just breaking every pick, you know, a minute before the pick came in, and it was like a constant chase between... what do you, uh, who is it? Was between one with Schefter, obviously, and the other. I think it might have been Jake Glazer, and they're just going back and forth, just trying to break all the. And the NFL's like, we're done with this. And I think the next year, that whole thing changed. And they were like, yeah, we're not going to break the, uh, we're not going to break the news of the actual draft picks before the draft picks happen because it's kind of ruining the TV experience. And now with gambling, I, you can't do it at all because that would really screw up stuff. So, um. Yeah, you know, NFL just can't have that info leaking so close to the actual event because it just has the potential of killing so much betting action that has already taken place. And if people believe all this trade action has taken on before the event, then that means you're watching an already determined event that become that turns the draft into WrestleMania, and the betting would change significantly in a negative way, right? So um, that was uh, the gambling thoughts that I had regarding the draft. Again, I hit a bunch. I hit on specific positions, but it really sounds like the money to be had in this draft was doing the over-unders of the players and their positions. And if you want to go back in time, hop in the DeLorean, hit 88 you know miles per hour, uh, go listen to a couple of them. Again, ones I mentioned, uh, even Money Podcast, uh, You Better You Bet, uh, there's several others, but if you're a gambler and you're familiar with the gambling podcast, you could go back because there's a lot of good info out there and that they had made public and people could have just pounced on it if you knew where to look. So, uh, anyway, so done with the gambling, let's, uh, let, you know, let's cut down to the chase here. Let, let's get down to brass tacks and let's get into this, tr- in, into the draft itself. All right. So here we go. Third down. We're getting into the nitty gritty here. Third down. So when we go to set everything up, we've got to go back in time a little bit. Like I was just talking about the DeLorean. We're going to hop in our own DeLorean. And we are going to go back and set up this draft with trades that took place that affected the draft, right? So let's rewind. Uh, We'll do a little... I don't have the rewind, so I'm just doing a record scratch. So we're going to go back to 2021, and the first pick that was impacted was the Giants. Giants had the number seven pick in this draft, and they got that in the trade last year for Justin Fields, or the positioning to get Justin Fields. Uh, Giants uh, traded down to 20 uh, with the uh, with the. The 11, right? It was 11 for 20. I think it was... I'll, I'll just read it off the piece of paper that I have here. Yeah. Uh, Bears traded up from 20. Uh, they 
Giants got Kadarius Tony with that 20 pick. That ends up being uh, kind of a disaster for the New York Football Giants right now because Tony uh, had a couple of games where he flashed spectacular skills, and for the rest of it, he was hurt and he, he came into camp. There was camp issues, whatever it was. But the Chicago jumped up to 11, got Fields. Giants went down to 20, got Tony, but they also got this another 7 pick. So they come into the draft with a number 7 pick. Also last year, you had Miami and Philadelphia in a trade. And this was the Jalen Waddle trade. So Miami ended up getting the number 6 pick in 156. And in return, Philadelphia got the 12th pick. And then they got the 15th pick in this year's draft. So Miami gave up uh, their first round pick. This year, that became 15, and that was all for Waddle. So, Giants get number 7, Philadelphia gets number 15, and so they were locked up in those trades that were referenced. Now, in 2022, we also had activity that got that impacted the first-round draft order as well. You had Denver, Seattle, that was the Wilson trade. Uh, obviously, Seattle got number 9 in that draft. Obviously, I don't know, obviously, obviously, they got a pick. It was in the first round, but and it ended up being number 9. Wasn't obviously number nine, but that's what it is. So, uh, Seattle got nine in the Wilson trade. The Raiders and Packers ended up flip flopping uh, picks for players. Devontae Adams, obviously the big name. He was the one that set off all of the trades in this uh, free agency season. Adams ends up getting traded for the number 22nd pick. Uh, then you had Houston Cleveland. That was the Deshaun Watson pick. Uh, Houston gets number 13 for Watson, along with a whole slew of other picks. Miami and KC dealt Hill. KC ends up getting 29 for Hill. So that was this year's draft plus other ones. And then you have New Orleans and Philadelphia. And that ended up being a pick, that, a trade that took place in more recently. And so what ended up happening in this one is that Philadelphia ends up giving one of their first-round picks this year. They had three. They gave up one to New Orleans, flip-flopped with New Orleans, and then took a future pick. So Philadelphia is going to have a future first next year from New Orleans, and in return, they're going to give their first-round pick this year, and they're going to flop picks. So New Orleans ended up landing 16 and 19 in this year's draft. Philadelphia got 18, and so that took Philadelphia down from three first-round picks to just two. So that was all the trades that went into the draft order. And then we will just go from the top to the bottom here. And, we'll, you know, we'll, there are plenty of other uh, podcasts that go into each pack, each draft in detail. Uh, we're going to hit a top level here uh, to try to have some fun with it, right? So the first one ended up being Trayvon Walker, Georgia. Look, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars and Balky, I you know, I, Balky shouldn't have a job. But he does. And so they're going to do what they want to do with this program. They brought in Peterson. Walker is playing pure projections here. I mean, they think that he is going to be great. It is not a lock. It's You're playing potential, right? You're playing the dice game here, and you're going to hope that this one works out. For me, I don't know if I would have done that route. It's a bit too much of a question mark for me to take Walker, who... You know, until his workout was nowhere to be found in the first. Remember, 
the number one pick of this draft was supposed to be Thibodeau. <laughs> that was what this was supposed to be. And then all of a sudden, throughout the 2021 season, Thibodeau goes downhill, and then Hutchinson goes up, and now Walker uh, jumps him up. So, you know, best of luck to Walker and Jacksonville to see if he can develop into this player that they want him to be. You just don't know. And with the draft, everything is a crapshoot. The only thing that you know for sure is that Melissa Stark is going to be up there looking like a million bucks. And, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, groundbreaking people. Let's not kid ourselves. Melissa Stark was the first blonde bombshell NFL sideline reporter. You know, you can talk about Erin Andrews when she was doing the the college program on ESPN, but I, I'm sorry. The the one that broke the mold there was Melissa Stark. She she was the one that went up there and she was like, Yeah, you need a you know, a, a very attractive blonde, you know, female reporter on the sidelines, put me on Monday Night Football, that's fantastic. And she was in and out in like two years, right? Because then she ended up marrying some big big shit, you know, Wall Street dude that was, uh, you know, very, very well off. And I think then she ended up having a couple of kids, took some time off, and she's back. She's back. She uh, did her mom thing for a while. She wanted to get back into it. And she's been actually with the NFL Network for quite a while. But anyway, um, you just don't know what's going to happen with the NFL with the NFL draft um, in, until you get to see these people develop. So maybe Walker works out. Maybe he doesn't. You never know. So uh, Walker is out. Next up was Adrian Hutchinson. Uh, Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson, Adrian, Adrian, Aiden Hutchinson, and look, you, you get a Michigan player in Michigan playing for the Lions. I mean, that is a surefire lock to sell jerseys. He's a you know great individual player as well. Really fits that bill. So a, a win there for the Lions uh, picking Hutchinson, and obviously Hutchinson could have gone win. He goes two, and I think it really works out. Obviously, you know, then you look back at the number one pick at the Jaguars, and then you're just kind of like, oh man, fucking poor Jaguars. It's too bad there just wasn't a number one consensus pick because in that case, you'd probably be better off being the Lions, have the first team pick whoever it is, and then you just have to you know, take the next best available, which ends up being Hutchinson. It works out perfectly for you. So, third pick ended up being the Texans. They pick up Stingley. That was kind of a lock right there. Uh, they had been penciled in with him. Phenomenal cornerback. Same thing with the fourth pick. That was um, uh, Ahmad Gardner. Sauce ends up getting picked up for the Jets. He was attached to the Jets for quite a while. Again, unbelievable cornerback uh, in this draft. So, he'll go to New York. Fifth pick was the Giants. Now, this was uh, this was not a shocker, but it was a shocker in the sense that the Giants, at least for the recent history, let's say 10 years, have refused to do what everybody else in the planet would do with their draft picks. And they end up going for the... They're like the Raiders. It's like the Raiders and the Giants end up just doing whatever the fuck they want to do and don't care what anybody else has to say. And so they pass up people you know, for whatever they want. Their guy, right? So here they actually took Thibodeau, who again was the number one pick in this draft up until you know this past year, and midway through just kind of went down. But uh, sure, they they put him up there on stage, and uh, I felt like such an asshole. Um, it's I, about I mean, to get yeah. all stupid here we go. Up in here. So they bring out the Make a Wish, <laughs> Make a Wish kid up there to read the card. Giant fan, Make a Wish, and I'm sitting there. We have no sound on in this ballroom, and I'm looking up there, and it looks to me, you know, he's kind of like Antonio Davis. He's got the unibrow. And I said something to the effect of, like, I, w- I was like, who's this unibrow, unibrow sloth up there on the stage? And not having any clue what the fuck I was talking about. And then, sure enough, it ended up being a Make-A-Wish child, and it was just like, fucking 
You are a stupid asshole. That's exactly what he is. Whoopsie. So anyway, uh, but it was cool, you know, in hindsight, minus me just being a douchebag. Uh, it was a, a a cool thing to have the kid up there. It was super amped. And Thibodeau went into it too. And so it was, uh, it was a nice there. It was a nice pick. And the way that it played out was great at five. So then we went over to the Carolina. Carolina had the question mark of going for a quarterback or not. They didn't. They took the monster tackle. Uh, Aquano out of NC State. So they are going to figure out their quarterback down the line. For right now, they're going to take the best tackle that they think is on the board. And definitely, I, I mean, a monster of a man right there. The Jet, the Giants were up next, and like I was talking about with the Thibodeau thing, uh, when I was talking in the gambling section, that if they took Thibodeau and the NC State didn't go for a quarterback and took a tackle, they're still going to have, you know, the pick of three or four. And they did. And they took Evan Neal uh, out of Alabama. So sure, solid two picks there for the Giants. And it played out very well for them um, the way that this draft broke out. So they get Evan Neal. They get two solid picks there uh, in the first seven. So then you have what I I think was the first questionable pick of the night. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a loser of a pick, but it was definitely questionable. That was Drake London uh, going to the Falcons out of U. Now, I don't know how much this is going to be impacted by, or how much this was impacted by Calvin Ridley uh, being MIA for this year due to his little gambling fiasco, but I I just thought, they were talking about Drake London 10 to the Jets, which was only a couple of picks away. I just didn't think that they were going to invest... In the wide receiver, I thought they were going to go in a different avenue here, um, but they end up taking Drake London. Is it too early for him? I don't, I don't know. I it was just, I, I think that they might have done themselves better uh, going somewhere else because again, this year is probably going to be pretty lost for them. I know they got Mariota coming in, and they're going to try to do something. They got nothing else other than Pitts right now. Uh, you know, Cordell Patterson, obviously, but um, you, you need some, you need some positional players. You know, skilled position players. You know. Die, to qualify here, and obviously in the era of offensive football and throwing the football, uh, the more the merrier. So in that regard, I guess it's not shocking, but I thought it was questionable picks. I thought the first one of the night, and that was Drake London to the Falcons. So then we have Charles Cross going to Seattle, one of the monster tackles in this draft, and uh, the Seahawks in need of one, plus not to mention that they're going to do this whole run-first mode. At least that's what everybody believes. So uh, it makes sense for them to go with Cross. Then we go to the Jets, and obviously the Jets were pinned to a wide receiver. I thought it was going to be Drake London, and that's where I put my money. I was wrong. It ended up being Garrett Wilson. Solid get for the Jets out of Ohio State. Number 11 is where everything starts to fall apart, and this was the first trade of the night. This trade was between New Orleans and Washington. New Orleans Orleans shoots up. Washington shoots down. Uh, in regard to the trade, it ended up being that Washington uh, got the 16th pick plus the 98th and 120th, and in return, they gave up the 11th to New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans ended up being uh, picking Chris Olave, uh, if I pronounced it right, from Ohio State. And again, you're going to trade up all that way, and that's who you're going to take. Uh, in, you're not going to take up Jamin William, Jamison Williams there. Uh, you're not going to pick up some of these other players that were on the board, maybe a Jordan Davis, you, you go and you pick up Olave, and I just thought that that was a, a whiff of real. I mean, granted, 
you have the question mark there with Michael Thomas and everything that's playing out w- with them, but you know you gave up a lot of capital there. I, you know the, the sixteen plus a ninety-eight uh, just to move up and grab him, and I, you know maybe the compensation was okay in terms of the draft catalog given back. I think the whiff was just on, on you traded up for that. You know, again, head scratching for me. So uh, the next trade took place immediately after that. And that was with the Detroit Lions because once they see that the Saints trade up and grab a wide receiver and it's not Williams, they said, you know what? He's ours now. So they turned around, and Detroit contacts Minnesota. Uh, you know, two black and blue division teams, you know, making a handshake agreement here, breaking some bread. M- Minnesota gets the 32nd, 34th, and the 66th pick in the draft. In exchange, they give Detroit 12 and 46. So you're looking at the fir- last pick of the of the first round plus uh, the second or third pick of the second round. And in exchange, you uh, give up 12 and 46. And then you throw in that 66. And I don't know what it ends up being a third rounder, I think. Um, and so Detroit turns around and they pick up Williams. I, I thought this would knock it out of the park. For me, right now, two, two picks. And the Lions have been doing very well for themselves, picking up Hutchinson and then Jamison Williams. So after that, we went over to to another trade. Yes, another trade as this time, and again, I I hate the Eagles because I'm a Giant fan. However, the Eagles do good things. And so they end up pulling off a trade and locking up Jordan Jordan Davis out of Georgia, the defensive tackle. And that guy, you know, he is funny. And so in regard to this trade, what ended up happening was – Houston and Philly flip-flopped. Houston got 15, 124, 162, and 166. Uh, So they fell back two spots. They give up 13 to Philadelphia, and then Philadelphia grabs Davis. Now, where did that 13 pick come from that Houston got it? It was... The Deshaun Watson trade. So that's where that came from. So Philadelphia had three picks going into this draft. They traded with New Orleans. They to get a future first-rounder in exchange for one this year, and then they end up sending a bunch of picks in the hundreds over to Houston to jump up two spots and grab Jordan Davis before anybody else could. So now you have the Ravens on the clock, and I just love what Baltimore does every single year when it comes to the draft. I, I know that they have not had the Super Bowl championships that they would like, but they are continually, continually competitive with the same structure, the same coaching staff. Things might change here and there, but, I mean, this ship is run so spectacularly. I, I You know, I sound like a... A fucking Raven fan at this point. I really, I did want Tacosta as a Giant fan. I want Tacosta. I, I got his name right, but he was the guy that I wanted as the GM. Then I took Shane, uh, and we'll see how it plays out. Shane had a good, good night one, um, but in regard to the two, I just love the way that the Ravens do business, and you see it here. They stay there at fourteen, and then all of a sudden they get Kyle Hamilton, who was the top safety in the draft and was. T- in talks of going much higher than 14, you know, over the past month, um, ends up ultimately sliding. Safety, not a value position. 
but he ends up landing on a super squad that loves defense, and so now they're going to have a, a new defense now, uh, getting the defense coordinator for Michigan as they sent Don uh, Wink Martindale over to the uh, Giants. So Hamilton in at 14. 15 ended up being uh, one of the trades we already talked about. This was Houston sliding, de- sliding down. They end up staying safe, taking Kenyon Green, the offensive guard from uh, Texas A&M. So, I mean, I could get, I guess, you know, kind of safe, safe pick. You know, I jury out. I mean, you can't go wrong unless he's just a terrible guard. So they're just adding talent on the offensive line. Then you have a trade here. This was the uh, Washington uh, football team, now Commanders. And this was the trade between Washington and New Orleans that New Orleans obviously got Olave. So Washington slides all the way back here. They take Jahan Dotson from Penn State. He's got a lot of pub after the uh, combine, he did phenomenal out there. Did it match his you know, previous performance in college? Not quite sure. Washington liked him enough. And again, you know, wide receivers now have come off the bar quite a bit. As of right now in the draft, we're talking about uh, slot 16, and you have one, two, three, four, five wide receivers that have flown off the board. And this ends up being pretty, pretty thematic, not only throughout the first round, but through the NFL season so far. Because what you are learning is that quarterbacks and wide receivers now have cap hits that are making it very difficult to have these individuals for long durations of time you the basically the mo now is to you know get them in their rookie deal see what you could do and then replace them with new rookies and so obviously you have uh, McLaurin coming up here for the uh, commanders and so now you have went and put uh Dotson in place to supplant him or complement him, depending on what happens. So then we go to uh, 17, which was owned by the Chargers. This was a straight-up Chargers stayed in their place. No trades impacting this one. They go Zion Johnson from Boston College, offensive guard, so they're trying to help out that line to help out Herbert here as they're really trying to build this thing up around him before he's due for his contract. Then you have a trade that was probably the biggest of the night. No, it was the biggest of the night. It wasn't po- possibly the biggest of the night. It was the biggest of the night. It was the A.J. Brown trade. So here, what you end up having is A.J. Brown, who wants his money. You have Tennessee, who doesn't want to give it. And again, this is the wide receiver issue that is now upon us. And this is the new reality of the NFL, is that these guys are making money that is you know, not pushing quarterback. Quarterbacks make quarterback money, but it is just such a chunk of the salary cap that now has become the thought process of do we want to just do this or do we want to treat this the same way as you know the quarterback or the running back where we're drafting these skill position players we're going to ride them out for their rookie contracts and then we're just going to bounce them for picks or whatever it is because we're just simply not going to pay them right i mean this was the running back uh this was the 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 path of the running back in the most recent pass where, you know, we're drafting them and we're not going to pay them because we'll franchise them. It's the Le'Veon Bell deal. We'll talk about the Le'Veon Bell, the Bellafly effect. Uh, but now 
obviously with running backs, they're not valued, so you don't see that anymore. But now that's become the wide receivers. So we're going to get the wide receivers, we're going to take their fifth year, and then we'll contract them, and then they make a big fucking stink like they have been uh, recently in their fourth year, then we'll just try to deal them. And that's what you saw here. So out went A.J. Brown. And the details of this trade went as such. So let me just pull it up real quick. Here we go. Philadelphia, Tennessee. Philly gets A.J. Brown. Tennessee gets pick 18 and pick 101. So Philadelphia says, we don't care. We're giving you the four-year, $100 million deal. You're going to go with Jalen Hurts. We just got Devontae Smith. Uh, we'll get one contract in. By the time you're done with that four years, we'll have to deal with Devontae Smith and his rookie deal uh, being expiring and figure out what to do with them. But for the meantime, we're going to put the two of you together with Jalen Hurts or whoever supplants Jalen Hurts to be the new quarterback down the road. And Tennessee turns around. They said, okay, well, we're going to turn around and pick a... A.J. Brown clone. They take Traylon Burks uh, out of Arkansas, the wide receiver. So, you know, Tennessee tries to replace their wide receiver with a similar wide receiver. And Philadelphia says, we'll take that guy off your hands, though, and we'll just pay him his money and we'll do our thing. So Philadelphia, again, doing big things. A lot of people super stoked about this. Not any giant fans such as myself. Here we go with another Whiffero. And it is, guess who? The New Orleans Saints. So this was a pick that they got in the preseason. Well, not the preseason, but prior to the draft. This was that trade that they had with uh, Philadelphia. This is the 19th pick here. They end up taking offensive tackle Trevor Penning uh, out of Northern Iowa again. You know, for everything that they did here to get this 11th pick and then the 19th pick. And out of it, you got Alave and Penning. I just... It's just a whiff of ruin, my in my estimation. You know, you're sitting there, no whammy, no whammy, no whammy, and it's, that's what you get hit with. So that was number 19, and then we end up going to the first quarterback on the board. Yes, Kenny Pickett is off. So finally, one of these quarterbacks sitting in the green room gets to put on a hat and walk to the stage and give the bro hug. And I don't even know. I don't remember. Was... was uh, did Goodell do all the bro hugs out of round one? I, I don't remember. But anyway, Pickett, Pickett ends up getting taken off the board. So he's going to end up staying in Pittsburgh. Good for him. Small hands. You know what they say about a guy with small hands? <laughs> uh, and he will stay in Pittsburgh, obviously, to fight Trubisky for the starting role. But ultimately, you would imagine, should all things go well, that he will be the quarterback of the future. Unless he sucks, and then they'll just have to redraft another quarterback. 22 or 21 ends up uh, going to Kansas City. They end up making a trade with New England. Uh, New England gets pick number 29 plus 94 and 121. Casey jumps up to 21. They end up taking Trent McDuffie, the quarterback from Washington. I sent a uh, text message to OJ McDuffie. I was like, oh, McDuffie, you got drafted again. I was like, oh, no, sorry, it was Trent. But you got to get his jersey, right? I mean, there's not too many McDuffies that come through the NFL. So I imagine that if there is one, they're all going to get their own same jerseys. But then again, what the fuck do I know? They probably are like, why would I get another McDuffie jersey? I got my own jersey. I played for the fucking Dolphins, you asshole. Uh, so that was Trent McDuffie. He went in the trade. And then uh, the Patriots will slide down. We'll talk about them in a couple of picks. So 22 ends up being Green Bay. Uh, this was one of the, dra- the trade picks for Devontae Adams. And <laughs> the... Tr- the Green Bay Packers just love to fuck with Aaron Rodgers. They just love fucking with him and not getting him any offense to play with ever. 
Never. They don't get it in free agency. They don't draft it. This is how many years now have they just not addressed anything on the offensive side of the ball? Not even, not to mention drafting quarterback to replace you, which in the case of Brandon Love. Well, here they did it again, and this time they end up not taking anybody on the offensive side of the ball. They take Quay Walker from Georgia, the inside linebacker. So they said, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, fuck you very much. So 23 goes to the Buffalo Bills in a trade. And this ends up being the pick that was actually received for Hollywood Brown. So Arizona and Baltimore pull off their deal. So let's talk about their deal right now. Arizona trades number 23 to Baltimore for Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown. Arizona gets Hollywood. Baltimore ends up getting 23 and 100. Now, Baltimore then turns around and flips 23 to the Bills. They slide back to 25, which was the Bills pick, because the Bills saw uh, Kair uh, Elam on the board at cornerback, loved him, and needed to grab him before anybody else did. So they jump up there to 23. Baltimore moves back to 25. And then the Bills end up taking Elon. I knock it out of the park right there. Solid move by Buffalo. So even with Shane out the door and over, you know, now doing things in New England, New England, New York, and with Dable out, it doesn't matter. You know, th- that operation with McDermott there at the helm is still operating, you know, 100% octane there. I don't think octane goes in 100%, but regardless, it was a good move there by the Bills. So then we have the uh, Cowboys, and this one for me was just a bomber row. I mean, I and saw boom this. goes the dynamite. Because you're sitting there, and Jermaine Johnson at this point is just falling down. You just lost Randy Gregory, that whole debacle with the contract and, and the reneg. You could have grabbed Johnson, and I don't know why you wouldn't, but they didn't here. They end up going offensive tackle. I know they lost some linemen here, so they take Tyler Smith out of Tulsa. Nothing against Tyler Smith, a good player. I just thought that Jermaine Johnson was the play here. They didn't do it, and so I thought that was a big thumbs down in, uh, in my mind. So Baltimore, like we said, traded down with Buffalo to get this pick here. They end up taking the best center in the draft, Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, Linderbaum. And that again, this is why I love the fucking way that the Ravens do business. They're just so good. They just stick to drafting talent, best talent on the board, and you know they get rewarded for it. Now, I'm gushing over the... Ravens here, and maybe things don't work out that way, but again, the draft is a 50-50 proposition. So the only thing you can do is try to line up with the best that there is out there, and I think that that's what the Ravens do so well, is that they don't let talent get past them. They take the best that's out there, and they did so here, grabbing the best center on the board in Linderbaum. Would have looked great uh, in the uh, Giants blue there, but uh, not to be had. So then we have the Jets. Jets end up doing a trade, so here we go, another trade. Jets sitting there, they say Johnson on the board, and they're like, we gotta do business. Somebody's got to jump in here and let us get this kid. And they ultimately find the partner that they need. Uh, That trade was... Oh, let me find it. It was um, the Titans. Titans end up trading number 26 to the Jets. So the Jets end up getting Jermaine Johnson at 26 there and the 101st pick. 
Meanwhile, Tennessee gets 35-69 uh, uh, and 163 in that trade. So the Jets trade up. They end up taking Jermaine Johnson. So his slide ends, and he will be going to New York. New York doing great things in this draft. I mean, both both New York teams, but the Jets really, really knocking it out of the park as this tr- this draft goes along. So then the Jaguars say, you know, we're not going to be outdone here by the Jets. We're going to trade up, and we're also going to go on the defensive side of the ball. So they trade up with Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay gets bounced out of the first round. Tampa Bay gets picks 35-106-180. Jacksonville ends up getting pick number 27, and they pick Devin Lloyd, right? So they grab Devin Lloyd out of Utah, inside linebacker. Uh, you know, a compliment you know, for Foyer, who they just signed in free agency. Is that what you want to do? You know, you want to expend that draft capital to trade up to grab him, I guess. You know, if you don't think, you know, was he going to be there at 35? Don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But they were married to this guy, and so Balke uh, going to make the trade, grab Lloyd, take him off the board, and give the Jaguars another linebacker there. Green Bay continues to troll Aaron Rodgers because they don't like him. <laughs> And so they end up taking Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle, out of Georgia at 28. I mean, you just can't make this shit up. By the way, Devontae Wyatt here at uh, number 28 becomes the fourth Georgia player off the board. Trayvon Walker went at 1. Jordan Davis went at 13. Quay Walker went to the... Uh, Packers at 22, and then Wyatt goes to the Packers at 28. So Packers trying to redo Georgia's success on defense by drafting everybody that they can out of the Georgia defensive side of the ball, uh, out of their college. And so they take Devontae Wyatt here at number 28. Still not complimenting anything on the offensive side of the ball, but uh, we've gotten used to it at this point. You get the Patriots up next that was involved in that trade earlier with Kansas City. They end up taking Cole Strange out of Chattanooga, offensive guard. Uh, This was a pick that everybody and their brother, especially since it's Bill Belichick, loved to laugh at. They said, why did you pick him there, et cetera, et cetera. But Patriots like their guys, and so that's just what it ended up being. They liked them. They grabbed them. Uh, They did lose uh, Lyman in in. Uh, free agency, so this is what the replacement is here. And so, I, you know, Belichick does what Belichick wants to do and had no problem taking this reach here at offensive guard. 30 was the Kansas City Chiefs. They end up taking that the end out of uh, Purdue. A lot of people liked, and I think he had kind of slid here. Uh, George Carla, Carl off. Aftis, I can't pronounce these goddamn names. And I don't watch college enough that I know them all before they end up playing in the pros. And even when they play in the pros, I, I don't play in the pros. How do you play in the pros? Dummy. Uh, even when they play in the pros, it takes me a while to... Uh, this year, I actually in the pre... Not the preseason. I keep saying preseason. But in the free agency period here, I was phonetically writing out the names and then going on to... <laughs> YouTube and try and you know what's funny is that when I was in my 20s I would have laughed at me because I knew all the goddamn names I, I you know my back and I made fun of people that didn't know the names and here I am decades later and I'm making fun of myself because I'm the asshole I made fun of I don't know what happened to me and it happens man uh, it slips on you sometimes you just get old and downhill you go uh, so anyway they pick uh, the D end out of Purdue they're going to add to that defense there and so that leaves two more picks this was the 
pick I referenced way earlier talking about gambling. This was Daxton Hill out of Michigan, the safety. So the Bengals going to help shore up that defense, especially with the AFC just rocking and rolling on the offensive side of the ball here. And that left one last pick. And that ended up being the Minnesota Vikings, and they grabbed Lewis Sign out of Georgia. George, that ends up being the fifth Georgia defensive player taken in the first round. So there you go. This was a draft brought to you so far by the University of Georgia. There was five players picked. Uh, you know, and for the most part, like we said, tons of trade action. We covered them all as we went along here, but the trades went all the way back to 2021 in order to figure out what was coming and going. But a lot of Georgia people, a lot of trades, big name wide receivers flying, replacement wide receivers coming in to the teams that lost those. And we will see how it all plays out in days two and three. But like I said, that was a very entertaining draft from top to bottom with all of the action that took place. And with that said, let's look at the winners and losers from this year's draft. Fourth down. So, you know, we'll do this quick because everybody's going to have their own opinion. But honestly, the winners for straight picks, you got to go Giants and Jets. They've just got tremendous talent. Uh, The Giants, for the first time in a while, didn't screw it up. Joe Douglas for the Jets really brought in some solid talent talent here with Amon Gardner. They then go out, they help Zach Wilson out with with Garrett Wilson at wide receiver. They're not done yet. As they slide down, they said, you know what? We are definitely taking Johnson off the board because he can't slide this far. Guy's a stud, and we're going to throw him on the defensive line. Obviously, they got Carl Lawson coming back from his Achilles injury, so we are not going to stop loading up talent, and they get three premier players in the first round. So, New York football did well for themselves. I thought Detroit did well for themselves. Look, you add Hutchinson and then you turn around, you trade up, and you add Williams, too. Even if Williams isn't himself year one, what does it matter, right? I mean, you just added a guy that ultimately could be your number one. And you want talent on your ball club, especially on the offensive side of the ball, because that has been what's winning games. That's what's been getting it done. And so now you get Williams and you get Hutchinson, so you get a good defensive side of the player, you know, bite off kneecaps, all that fun stuff that, uh, you know, Campbell likes to do, and then you turn around on the offensive side of the ball and you keep up with the Joneses uh, in the new era of the NFL. Baltimore, again, how can you argue with what they do? They just come in and they take the best talent on the board and they end up getting some of the best players. Kyle Hamilton slid. They said, no way, we're taking you. We're going to throw you in, in, in our secondary there. Man, the safety position, and then they take the best center in Lindenbaum, and Linderbaum, and you can't argue with the way that they they do things. It, you know, they just everybody should do what Baltimore does. I'm sorry, and, and I know that you. you oh, but they don't have the fucking Super Bowl ring, the Super Bowl trophies, Lombardi trophies sitting in there. You know, yeah, but they compete every year. They compete every year. It they, same thing with like the Patriots. You know, when they as so long as they had Brady. I mean, they're just a, a franchises that member clubs that do. The same thing year after year after year, and they compete. And that's what you want. You want to be a fan of that team. You don't want to be a fan of a team that never goes to the playoffs or goes to the playoffs you know, once every 10 years. You want the team that goes consistently because then you got something to root for and something to be engaged with all the way through December and January and possibly February. And so I think you see that when Baltimore gets on the board. And then you have Buffalo. Look, I mean, Kyer Elam, 
fell all the way down to 23. And the Bills were like, nope, it's not going to go any longer. We're going to grab him. We're going to move up. We're going to take him. And we're going to add to our defense that has been cooking with gas for the past couple of years, right? They were probably the best two-way team in the NFL last year. And while it they did not get to the Super Bowl, uh, you know, they, they lost that heartbreaker to Kansas City. But adding solid talent uh, where it's needed, again, in the AFC, you've got a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of offensive ball that's going to be played, and you're going to have to add on the defensive side. So they take a good defense and make it even better with one of the better picks in the draft. Now, you want to go past that, and you want to include some of the trades that took place. There's two other teams that you got to look at and then give kudos to as well. Number one, Arizona. I thought Arizona, for your money, you if you're going to pay Marquise Brown, you're going to team him up again with Kyler Murray. The two played at Oklahoma State, and they knocked it out of the park. Murray has been a question mark, especially with his relationship with the Cardinals up to this point. I think this just speaks volumes about what they're trying to do. I mean, they, they, they number one, are trying to win. And number two, I mean, this should make him very happy. I mean, this is a good thing for the Cardinals. This is a good thing for their relationship with, with Murray because you bring in continuity that has already been developed in college plus a friend, and you add to your offense that you already have DeAndre Hopkins, right? And you, you know, you have AJ Green. You lost, uh, what do you call it, Christian Kirk? But who cares, right? So you bring in Hollywood Brown here. Good things to be had in Arizona. I mean, I think they still need a couple of pieces, but you know, you factor in what they did here on multiple levels. I think this was a win here for Arizona. And the other one, I and, and I hate it because they are all, they're the team I like the least in the NFL, and it's just Philadelphia, man. Philadelphia just you know cooks me, you know, in ways that I, I don't, and no other town does, but Philadelphia, man, God, they fucking make me go crazy. But they do things good here, and so they end up getting not only Jordan Davis, but then they end around, they turn around and they use their other top pick to go get A.J. Brown. So, you can't lose by adding talent. Now, I'm not a huge A.J. Brown fan. I do think he's good. I think he's one of the top-tier receivers. I don't like him as much as some of the other ones. You know, I guess kind of a Julio mold, Julio Jones mold, but the thing about A.J. Brown is I have this gut feeling that his fall-off is going to be quicker than one would expect, right? Big physical receiver, also athletic, but for some reason, I just got this feeling in my gut that, you know, his window is going to be much shorter. But for the time being, what does it matter, right? You got Devontae Smith, you put him with A.J. Brown, and you just get to try to roll out a monster offensive game plan week in and week out for Jalen Hurts. So you take those two trades, and the winners, Giants, Jets, Lions, Baltimore, more Buffalo, Philly, and Arizona. So let's flip it and go to the losers. And I think you got to see Jacksonville. I'm sorry. Just for the, you know, you, you took a stab at potential with the number one pick, and then you trade up again to get, you know, a good inside linebacker, but is it something that you really needed? I just didn't like what they did here with this draft. New Orleans was the bomber room. I mean, you want to talk about fucking teams that just imploded. 
New Orleans makes all these trades to get here in the first round and move up and down and over, and they trade a future first rounder for another one this year. They get the two picks, and then they get a wide receiver, not the best on the board, in my opinion, and then they turn around and they also get a questionable offensive tackle. You get Penning and Olave. I, you know, again, it's just not what I would have done. Uh, and people are probably going to be laughing. Well, I'm one of the four people that are listening, that if I'm getting Olave's name right, and I've just said it like five times this podcast, I mean... <laughs> You sound like an asshole, Rich. Yeah, I do. Uh, Green Bay Packers, uh, they were another one. Sorry. You refuse to make your franchise quarterback happy, and I get it. Georgia had a fantastic year. You're going to try to uh, fill your defensive roster with everybody from the top flight, flight program. All the power to you. But you need a wide receiver. You got rid of Devontae Adams. You didn't fill it with anything. And so you're not going to go with a wide receiver here. When how many went in the first round? I I, they, I think it fell off after I stopped counting. But one, two, three, four, five, six. Six went. Did anybody else? No, six total. So you didn't want to trade up to get anybody. You, you didn't want to trade to get somebody that was out there. You know, I mean, I guess you didn't have the power to pick up an A.J. Brown. But, I mean, you couldn't have packaged 22 and you couldn't have packaged 28 and tried to move up a little bit to get one of these other guys. I just don't understand what happened. You know, and you spent them on inside line on linebackers. Why didn't you just go out and sign Bobby Wagner? Bobby Wagner was sitting out there. You could have grabbed Bobby Wagner, paid him some money, and then you could have went and spent, you know, these picks elsewhere. It just, nothing here made sense to me in terms of Green Bay. They just could have went about this completely differently. They could have, you know, padded themselves in free agency a little bit by, like I said, making a play for Bobby Wagner. Not that Wagner would have wanted to go there. I, I don't know, but... You know, at least make a play for him. He's going to cost you a little bit of money, but you get to use these picks somewhere else. And I just think that might have been a better route to go. But whatever. Green Bay to me, whiff a And specifically only because they lose Devontae Adams and they still haven't replaced him with anything. It didn't, don't even look like they cared to replace him with anything uh, if you consider both the free agency period plus the draft. Uh, Dallas is my next one. I thought it was a miss. Look, they had one pick. I just I don't know why they didn't go for Jermaine Johnson. I mean, think about taking Jermaine Johnson and adding him with Micah Parsons and Dexter Lawrence. And, I, I mean, God, it was right there in front of your face, and you went for an offensive lineman. And there were more offensive linemen that are had to be had in this draft. You, you get offensive linemen later. But Johnson was just there. I just don't understand why they didn't go for it. I thought I, I texted one of my friends. I said, oh, did Johnson, did, if Jerry Jones doesn't draft Johnson here, he should be forced to sell the team. Well, he's not being forced to sell the team. He should be, though. New England, the other one. I, you know, you, you trade down, you get one pick, and you make it on probably maybe the biggest stretch of the first round. I mean, really, when they said Cole Strange, I, you know, Twitter exploded with just mockery of Bill Belichick. Uh, I don't know. I don't necessarily blame him, I guess, but in the same point, you know, I mean, offensive linemen, how do you know, right? I mean, until they get going. How do you know with any of these people? We said it before. We'll say it again. The draft picks are 50-50. They, they work out or they don't, and it's a very inexact science. But, man, they really roasted him. And, I, you know, again, they lost uh, – I forgot who they lost. They lost somebody on the line. I don't have anything in front of me, and it's been a while since I talked about it. I, you know, I just did the, the 
whatever the State of the Union a while ago. But anyway, so they're going to use that for the offensive line. I thought they could have used it somewhere else, especially when they were trading down and then they ended up picking him. They probably could have got him in the next round. But anyway, those are the losers. Jacksonville, New Orleans, Green Bay, Dallas, and New England for the reasons already discussed. Um, let's see, anything? Oh, winners, wide receivers, man. I, you know, These wide receivers coming out of college, they are going to have the world at their in their hands because world in their hands, world at their feet, whatever. Uh, they are right now the super trendy position of the NFL. And the reason why is because their contracts, while on the rookie deal, are super advantageous factoring in the cap. Because the contracts on the second go-round, their second contract is just too problematic. It costs too much, and teams don't want to deal with it anymore. They just don't. They would rather have you for the four or five years, take you from 22 to 26 or 27, and then flip you and replace you with wide receivers from the draft, which is why wide receivers in college right now have just seen you know, their entire futures just value skyrocket. Anybody play Retro Bowl? I play Retro Bowl. And it's one of my guilty little pleasures. It's a stupid game, play it on the iPhone or whatever. But anyway, I don't like to spend any cash trying to, you know, you you build a team, you get credits, right? You pay money. This is how, you know, the, the constant, um, I forgot the terminology for it, but microtransactions, whatever. You constantly get your two bucks, two bucks, two bucks, two bucks, two bucks. Here's the game for free, but we'll, you know, before it's all said and done, we'll get a hundred 200 bucks out of every one of you. But anyway, Retro Bowl is a fun little football game. But I don't want to pay money, right? I don't want to give anybody the money. I just want to play the game for what it is. So you need these things called coaching credits, and that's what you pay the money for, in order to pull off moves, in order to sign coordinators, in order to sign wide receivers, in order to sign whatever you want to sign, it's going to cost you money, right? And so when it comes to re-signing your players, you can do one of two things. You can either re-sign them early, and that causes cost you coaching credits, and you only get them for an extra year. So they really flourish. You want to keep a good team, and you want to get them before his cap number comes up. You try to sign them early, right? And you don't want to do that. So what I end up doing with all these guys, and I, there's a point to this. I swear to God there is. I swear to God there is. I mean, uh, Don't be rude. Okay. So... When these guys end up getting to their year two and then they got one year left, what I end up ultimately doing is I try to flip them and trade them to get a high draft pick, which I then look to get new wide receivers in the next year. And that's the point I'm making is that that's the same thing that's happening in the NFL right now is that you draft the wide receiver. You don't want to resign them because they end up costing too much against the cap. So you try to flip them for something more at the end of it. And so you just end up drafting them, using them, and spitting them out. And you're going to see the same thing happen here in the NFL with all these wide receivers because their contracts on the resign are just too expensive. And they can't cost too much, relatively speaking, against the cap to sign them. Now, some people are going to, you know, try to stick their, you know, thumb their nose up at everybody else. You know, see Dolphins, see you know, the Raiders, they're going to give the 28 year old wide receiver monster money. And they're going to say, it doesn't matter. We are going to, you know, turn this into a victory for us. We'll see. Um, 
Any other winners I can think of? Nah. I losers. We talked about the losers. Also, losers positioning wise. Um, I, you know, wide receivers. At least rookie wide receivers. It's a big win. Veteran wide receivers. It's a big loss. Uh, you know, you are going to struggle and struggle because if these experiments don't work out, what you're going to see is you're going to see the value on these resigns on the on the second year deals just decline because nobody's going to want to do them right now. They're through the roof. Maybe they continue that way. I don't know. I don't think that it, it can continue that way. It's just too much. I mean, you know, once they reach a certain point, you can't get to quarterback level, and it's starting to get there. So anyway, uh, rookie quarterbacks win winner. I think veteran quarterbacks or wide receivers losers unless you can get that second deal, and then you end up becoming a big winner. Quarterbacks, big loser. This was the worst year I can remember for quarterbacks in a long time. They shouldn't have had three, whatever, the three, four kids in the green room. They should have had one. Uh, they couldn't do that, obviously. Quarterbacks, I mean, Kenny Pickett, maybe he's good, maybe he's not. I mean, I, I thought he was okay in college. I had hope for him. But, uh, again, it's tough to see that he's a surefire lock at quarterback. But, again, nobody's a surefire lock, especially quarterbacks, right? Especially quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are just, uh, that is a dice throw. Uh, running backs, also. Look, running backs, not not a one drafted in the first round. Not a one. Not a one. It is a dead position in the NFL. Not dead entirely, but nobody is going to invest first-round talent in running backs unless they are just, groundbreaking and even at groundbreaking what are you going to want to invest in a running back nothing in the top because skill position player cost a ton of money they get beat up too much you're just going to try to find college athletic talent that's good and pick them up in rounds two and three and whatever and come because everything's going past anyway right now so why would you want to take the second round pick and take Saquon Barkley unless you were David Gettleman and the Giants? And you're just not going to see it going forward. A running back, I, it's still a important, very important skill position for the game of football. I, you can't argue and tell me it's not. I mean, people would try, but no, you need a good. If you don't have a good running back, you're in trouble. Do you need a great one? Eh, maybe not. But you need production out of that position. And you're not going to get that with crap players. So there's a lot of value to be had there. It's just nobody wants to pay for it because there's too many question marks regarding the position. The, the, you get beat up too much. The length of success for any kind of running back is very slim. And you really have to be kind of here and now. right? And if you're drafting top of the draft, you're not ready here and now, unless you pull off monster trade somehow, but those are usually the shitbox teams. So are those teams going to want to turn around and invest high money to a running back? Look, it's been talked about you know everywhere. This year, though, is the first year that I think you really saw... Um, you know, the future trajectory of the position where you didn't even see one running back taken in the first round. So that is day one of the draft. We've got day two and then day three upcoming. Uh, obviously, looking forward to that. I think it kind of falls off after, you know, the Thursday night, though. I They change the... They change the production value. They change the announcing. There's just not as much juice on the Friday night, and then definitely not on the Saturday. But regardless, you got a great Thursday night, and hopefully that continues on. There's still 
sure trades to be had. You're not going to see him for top flight talent, but you're going to see, you know, I'm sure the continuation of people flopping around trying to get picks next year or multiple picks and try to pad their roster as best they can. And so we'll see what happens uh, after days two and three. Probably try to get back maybe a Sunday night, Monday night uh, podcast and cover up everything that happened uh, in those rounds. And until then, uh, all the best. Enjoy. Uh, I hope that your team continues to pick good players and if they pick shitty players I hope they get their act together and start to pad your roster with some talent the better NFL play the better we all are all the best with your gambling and your picks until later peace